Uh, one question is, who's easier to coach, men or women? Um. <laughs> There's no rules! Shoot a lower score! There's one rule! Welcome back to the Champions Playbook. It is our last week out on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. If you guys want to come and witness the podcast in the winter, um, we're going to be inside of Franklin Bridge, either in the Persimmon Pub or in the Pro Shop like we were last year. So um, we'll keep you up to date. But if you want to figure out what we're doing, go ahead and follow Scott on Instagram. His Instagram is at Golf. Two S's, two E's. So, episode two, our Q&A. We have Coach, Coach Whithouse from Duke University, associate women's coach over at the on the golf team. Correct. There we go. There we go. So uh, we're lucky enough to have uh, him on uh, for this week's Q and A here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. So um, we're also joined by Mr. Scott Specter and Miss Erica Fullerham over on Zoom. Firehelm, fire, 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 fire sale. So um, we have two actual internet questions. Normally we have like the Instagram ones, but we actually have live internet questions over on Zoom. So that's going to be awesome. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to them. Uh, this could be an awesome Q&A. Stay tuned. Whoever wants to go first, go for it. I Maybe can go for it. Want me to? Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess one of my questions was, um, how do you stay intentional with your practice like during long sessions? I think... One, it takes some planning, you know, deciding what you want to do ahead of time. But I think a very big one is to, uh, and a very hard one to stay with, but it's a valuable, is just a, a constant reminder of the next, the next ball or the next repetition you have. You won't be the same when you're finished. It won't be neutral. You'll be a couple of millimeters closer to you, who you want to be or a couple of millimeters further away. And, you know, if you can bringing that back into your mind or having somebody step in and remind you once in a while of that it'll I believe it helps you you won't take the next one for granted if your mind's wandering you'll stop you'll refocus you'll do what you need to do um yeah and also figuring out and set and I believe it's for most personalities that I've worked with it's pretty important to to plan out your work in a way that you know when it's time to stop. That you have like a finite way to know when you're finished with, you know, working on your short irons or whatever it is. That it's not just a sort of open-ended thing that you're, the longer you go, your mind kind of wanders and whatever. That you have some sort of plan or goal or, and, you, and it may not be a deal. It might be three shots. It might be 30 shots, but whatever it is, you know when you're finished. Okay. I should be asking you two. You're the ones that are doing it. <laughs> now, this one will kind of piggyback on on the uh, the first pod that, that you did, kind of touch on some of the mindset, a little bit of the fortress, um, and then – how can we adapt that, whether it's amateur golf, high-level amateur golf, professional, and so on? Um, we all have a dominant habit, and that 
relatively dominant habit tends to reveal itself the higher you go on that stress ladder. Yeah. You know, and going back to your comment about, you know, well, it's playing well competitively, you know, in the fall season, or it's going into that next big event or the Solheim Cup and so on. If you could speak a little bit about how you coach through, mentor through your players and any advice you would give, you know, others out there on how to overcome that adversity when it does hit the round. It's never if, it, it absolutely is going to hit. Right. Um, one I would say, I don't know if there's a blanket statement. I think kind of everybody sees the world different and has different fears and triggers. And some people are more motivated by like avoiding fear while others are more motivated by chasing success. And so I don't think there's a blanket statement, but I do, I do think it's, you know, helping, helping players to identify how their mind works. Basically they're, they're teaching me. Like I, I say that phrase a lot to players of like, I need you to teach me like what's going on in your head. Like, what do you, what do you feel? It's not about you learning from me. It's about kind of me learning from the player and then me holding them accountable for whatever they talk. So if over time they teach me that their mind tends to, I don't know, get too aggressive when they get too anxious or too adrenaline going that then I remind them of what they told me later. I don't try to ever teach them anything new in that regard. I just try to hold them accountable for what they have told me. Um, but I also do think there's a kind of universal thing about that. If you don't, if a player isn't kind of breaking it down to uh, like little bullet points of what they're working on, it's nearly impossible to commit to it when that habit, as you described, the dominant habit comes back. So maybe one illustration of it is pretty much every golf shot in my mind is like a, like a cooking recipe. Like there's ingredients, you know, if you think of a recipe, there's bullet points, you do this, you go get some ingredients, you go get your setup, your grip posture, ball position, alignment, whatever, like the ingredients. And then there's some action going on of the swing, or if you're cooking something of stirring something up and turning on the oven and all that kind of stuff. And just getting really clear on the recipe of what you're trying to do. Um, Cause I think most of the time when we start having pressure and the dominant habits come in, I think a lot of players tend to blend some recipes together. So like in the, the example of, you know, if you follow a chocolate cake recipe, you'll get great chocolate cake. If you follow lasagna recipe, it'll be great lasagna. If you blend them together, it's going to be random. It could be like the greatest thing ever. Still might be like a hole in one or a chocolate lasagna might be awesome or it might be terrible, but it'll be random. Um, so just staying in the recipe that you've chosen, I think provides a lot of com comfort when you know the predictability of your own habits. You know, you have this dominant habit, but you also know you have a recipe that you've been using over and over to manage that habit. So I think that sort of mentality or concept is very helpful for that, that kind of issue. 
So I'm going to let Scott and great answer there, John. I'm going to let Scott and Erica ask some more questions by one audience members to come up first, and then we'll get to some more of your questions here in a little bit because I know both of you have more than one. So uh, who else? Come on up. Bill Summers is going to take my seat. Hey, Coach, thanks for being here. Um, Pleasure. Thank you for being here. Yes, sir. It, my question is this. So Scott was in your program. Yes. How, how many folks, ladies and young men that you've coached, how many have gone on to be PGA professionals? As teaching professionals? Either teaching like or maybe even professionals in the, in the sport, the game of golf, because I think it's pretty impressive because obviously you had a, a major impact on his life. So he's improved my swing, so I feel indebted to you. So I'm just wondering how many folks that, that you, you've touched that have gone on. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I've never really counted that up. There's a decent amount of club pros, teaching pros. Um, and obviously, as I've gotten to Duke, there's more uh, tour players coming out of Duke than there was in a Division three school at Ohio Western. So... You know, not that I take any credit for any of this, but I've been very fortunate to have um, been coached on the men's side and the women's side, which leads to some sort of weird facts. You know, like I've had players that have gone on now to win on seven of the biggest tours in the world. Um, and it just, you know, typically in the... Typically, I'm still blessed that many of them will give me calls from wherever they're traveling at, and it's very rarely ever about golf. It's about their mind going wherever, they're lonely in an airport somewhere, they're uh, a lot during COVID when, you know, they're in Morocco at some event and they're not allowed out of their hotel for a week, and so it's a lot of um, calming effects, I guess but it's very rarely ever about the X's and O's. And um, I guess I'd even say whether they chose golf, um, as Scott did to impact people, or whether they're teaching academically or whatever they may be doing, um, probably the thing I'm most proud about is, is there's a lot of people over the years that have chosen to impact other people, whatever their, you know, whatever their passion was, but they're, um, doing things to help other people feel better about things. So I've been very blessed with that. I believe I got that from my my parents and also Dr. Gordon, my, my coach as well. So I know Scott's impacting lives. Coach, while we're waiting for the next question here, I love that you said that because uh, being an athlete myself, I think the most meaning relationships I have is like with those coaches that helped me improve. And, and a lot of the times it's like, at the end of the day, you didn't help me improve because you got my swing to X plane, right? It's like you helped me because you were a huge impact in my life and the way I think and the way I, uh, you know, act on a day-to-day -day basis. So I love that you uh, you still get those calls to this day. Yeah. So I'm Pam, and I'm a, I'm a student here of Scott's, a new, very new student actually. Uh, I've got a couple of questions. Thank you for being here, but some of the things I hear you say, I hear Scott repeat, so I'm sure you <laughs> like that. 
Uh, one question is, who's easier to coach, men or women? Um, <laughs> that was, that I, was Terry's I, I idea. Get, I get asked this all the time. Um, and I personally am going to say there's no difference. There are, in my opinion. And maybe it's because I have three daughters as well, and um, I'm not sure about that, how that all fits together. But there are people that, there are men that are kind of a pain, and there's women that are kind of a pain. And there's men that are over-anxious, and there's women that are over-anxious. So I guess, I think, at least in the coaching world, I believe there's a lot of, like, lumping people together. So, like, a group of anybody is hard to deal with. But if your mind's on helping one person at a time, um, I really don't see any difference. It's about, I'm not trying to help a group of women or a group of men. I'm trying to help one person at a time. And some of them are easy and some of them are hard and some of them motivate me a lot more and some of them get, you know, are, are eager to be the first one out and early morning, some are early or eager to be the last one there at night. You know, they're all different and it's not gender related. There's, there's all types on both sides of, of the gender equation. So I, I personally don't think there's a answer to which is easier. Okay. Well, that was a very politically correct thing to say, but <laughs> I, I, I personally appreciate it. My next question is uh, today in my lesson, Scott put me in the hot seat which meant he put an Apple Watch on my wrist to watch my blood pressure go up as he was teaching me, and yes, it did. Did he learn that from you? <laughs> um, I doubt it. Um, I'm kind of old, and I don't think we had Apple Watches, and I'm pretty sure we didn't <laughs> okay. even have cell phones when Scott was there. Um, no, but Scott's, you know, it's a great, that's a great tool, a great <laughs> idea. He, he made you go to a new little spotlight, right? And it yeah, was a little did. different. Yes, and he did. If you keep progressing the way you want to, you're going to find those the first time you uh, challenge your next scoring barrier or a few new people are watching, you're going to have that same feeling that Scott just created for you. So that's a great thing. And don't be afraid of it. It's all right. Thank you, John. Thank you. This is one of my personal favorites, John, that's coming up here. This is Daniel. He's a freshman. He's really small, but he's one of the hardest workers I know. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being small. So he's, he's gotten out of his comfort zone, come up here almost every week to ask questions. So here you go. Great. All righty. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi. And I have a very serious question. Um, All right. What... If there is any, what is the line between a good idea for a golf shot and a very risky bad idea? Ooh. Ooh. Um, That's a hard it's a it's a tough question. <laughs> coach John, uh, Coach uh, Scott's over here thinking the same thing. He's like, "Oh God, I don't know how to answer this one." Right. Well. I guess this, this might be an answer for you. The more you get to where with your swing and the work you're doing um, physically, where you're able to have predictable shots, like the more predictable something is. Doesn't have to be great, but it's just predictable. 
as as um, Scott there mentioned earlier about the dominant habit. You know, if the dominant habit, you kind of can predict it's coming. So it, when you can get, as your game gets more and more to a level where you can, you know the shot that's coming, you know, maybe it's always a fade or whatever. Then I believe you can get to a point where you kind of have a, you can have some, some management ideas where basically you, you start with a very conservative, safest place you can find on the green to make your ball land where the pitch mark's going to be. It might roll somewhere else for release. And then you'll have enough feel as an athlete to realize that, man, it's feeling good today, or I can, I can shift off of that perfect safe spot today on this one shot, you know, this particular slope or this lie in the fairway, this fits me perfect the way my mind's feeling today. So I can shift that target into a, a little bit more advantageous place, but also having the self-awareness to know that maybe two holes later, the, the ball's above your feet and you're a little bit in between clubs and now it's not so predictable and not so clear. So you use that safest spot. You know, it's not always the same thing, but you as a player who's working hard, you're going to, you might already know this or have these feelings at times, but you'll have times where you will really, you'll have like sort of a green light shot. Everything fits together and you know what's happening. Then you have the self-awareness to make that a little more of a, uh, bonus filled target line you might pick, but also remind yourself there's other, it's totally fine to go a couple hours, six or eight or 10 holes and not have any green light shot. If you're just patient, pick that safe thing, move on. Don't, you know, and it'll, it comes in waves. It's also a weird thing. You might have five hours in a row where they're all green lights and then you might go two weeks when none of them are and have that awareness to, to be ready for that. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for the question. Keep up the great work. We're all proud of you, Daniel. He said thank you, Scott. <laughs> um, Scott or Erica, do you have another question? We're, I think we're going to have another one out here in the audience, but kind of let you all ask. Yeah, I have a question. So how do you um, tell your players to like deal with a bad shot or a bad round? Um, mainly different ways of reminding them that it's in the past. Um, they're all different in the way they handle it. Sometimes it's sometimes it's joking about dinosaurs. You know, it's the the last hole in a brontosaurus are both about the same. Like being mad at both of them, or you know, being mad at a dinosaur and being mad at the hole you played two hours ago is both kind of stupid when you think about it. They get logical, um, but it, it all depends on the way each player, you know, their mentality, their vocabulary, the way they do things, but. Continually reminding them that, you know, I don't, nobody cares about what's already happened. And kind of the only way that you can, you know, you haven't screwed up because you had a bad hole, but you can screw up if you multiply those, kind of link them together. Uh, and I guess that's relying on a, lots and lots of reminders, repetitive reminders over and over that it is just about the current hole we're playing. 
And I think it also helps on the other side when there's multiple birdies in a row. A reminder, it's, it's still just about the current hole you're playing. I know you just made four birdies in a row, but that's not relevant right now. It's still about this. So whether it's good or bad, it's always getting back to the current hole we're playing. And, you know, a phrase that we, we chat about some is winning the walks. And this might fit in here as well. You know, whatever your definition of winning is, and the way you want your mind to be of the walk to getting to the next shot the way you want to be. And I'm a huge believer that the vast majority of the golfing world completely ignores the walk between leaving the green and getting to the next tee. Um, and I think our players tend to be better than most at winning the walk between the holes. That when we get to a tee box, we're at a higher percentage of time being the person we want to be because we've actually focused and talked a lot about winning the walk between holes. Okay. I think, John, I think that's really good um, because you're taking the game, you know, they do this in, oh, hang on, there we go. Uh, they do this in some other sports, like not just sports psychology, but other just basic counseling maneuvers is to like, shift the game away from like the thing that you're obsessing about, whether that be marriage counseling, whether that be anxiety, stress is like, it becomes a game almost to, to fight that off. Um, and it's, you're no longer worried about the outcome of your performance. It's like, I got to fight off whatever that is psychologically between holes. Like not even worried about score at that point. It's trying, you've basically changed the game within the game. Um, for you to play. So I, th I thought that was kind of neat. I'm going to hold on to that one. Coach, I thought it was super interesting too. Um, you talked about, or we're talking about how we can get better. Call, call him John. Call him John, Jack. <laughs> I haven't trained him yet. I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, keep, keep training him. John, uh, we talk a lot yes. about like how we can avoid, you know, those snowball effects, right? Like a bad hole, shove it to the, like shove that mindset to the next, right? Like clear it all out and, and go to the next hole. But is there something you see in like super, super elite players that are able to, okay, I just birdied that hole. Doesn't matter. Let's go to the next hole and win the next hole kind of thing. Is there a difference in, in mindset that you see from somebody who maybe holds on to something from, for too long versus somebody who, even if they got a birdie or an eagle on a hole, they go to the next hole like it's no big deal? Yeah, um... Well, I think everyone's different in that. Like some people bounce back fast. Some people don't bounce back. You know, I think every person's a little different, but I, maybe a bit of it is, is discussion and training about, um, not using common words like, like days or holes or rounds, you know, like they're making everything a segment of time. Like there doesn't have to be a bad day or a bad kind. Like there will be bad segments. Some people make those segments six hours long and some people make them 20 minutes long and some people on your, and that has to do with sort of the elite competitiveness of figure your first year aware you're in it. And then second, you get it yourself out of it. And on the best days, sometimes it's a segment of time is a couple of minutes and it's one bad shot, or maybe they actually didn't hit any shots in that three minutes. And on other days, it's an hour and a half and they've played three bad holes or so not 
training yourself to be that it's a bad day or a bad hole or a bad week or whatever, that it's just a bad segment of time. And um, it kind of goes back to Erica's question a little bit of, you know, that segment of time can change any golf is weird. Like it might change for no reason at all. Like experienced players know that like there's times where you just, things are rolling along and it's not good. And then you don't really know why, but all of a sudden one shot happens and that segment's over. And now you're back into a good segment. Um, I guess not giving power to the standard word words that the world uses. That's awesome. Thanks for that. So I'm really glad John said that because I know uh, Scott and a lot of his business coaching has done this. And I've done this with Erica with her interning here two summers is like, the subtle words that we use and I used to hate English and now I've written two books. So, (laughs) you know, funny how the world changes. Uh, but like language is incredibly important. Um, I remember one that I, I use all the time is like, well, this is a lag putt. I was like, that's an intentional miss. You know, I remember that from Ohio Wesleyan. Like I'm just going to lag it up there. Most of the time when people use that phrase, they never get it close. Like, and so, I'm going to try and make it. And then they, then the follow-up question is, well, I don't want to blow it past. I said, I didn't say blow it past the hole. Like just cause it's a long putt doesn't mean I said, blow it past. It's not what I said. You know, I said, you know, I'm trying to make it. Well, making it was somewhere between a few inches at the hole and a few, you know, foot and a half or so behind it. Like that's not that big of a zone. So, um, I'm really glad that you said that because, it's subtle and like catch those languages. And it's why I start my book there because the rest of my book doesn't matter if what we don't, if we don't deal with what you say and what you do on the front end, like, cause anything else you're going to read is going to just be filtered through that, that lens. And so you're not going to actually learn anything. So um, thanks for sharing that. Um, okay. other questions. I think we're down. Uh, yeah. Also, this, this may just be a hello, but we'll, we'll see. Also while she's walking up here, coach, I, I feel like too with like the lag putting example, like the aim small, miss small uh, example seems to apply as well, right? I mean, like you can you can definitely go for making it, and if your putting's good enough, you're only going to miss it by a few inches. Right, and if I would add into that what Scott was just saying, what you just said, is that kind of comes back to the having clarity enough clarity that you can commit to it. Mm. So like clarity enough to know what trying to make it means, as Scott said blowing it by that some people kind of have that idea. Like if you have a fuzzy ideal, you'll never commit to actually doing it. So like getting really clear on what, like kind of the physics of the ball actually going in the hole means that there is kind of a, a finite several inches past the hole type thing where that's the only time it's ever going to go in. Hmm. If it doesn't get past the front edge of the hole and if it doesn't stop before whatever that, you know, the different judgments of that, whether it's 17 inches or 20 inches or 30 inches or what, there is a finite back end to that too. If you're outside of those two lines, it'll never go in. And until somebody has clarity on that, it's pretty hard for them to commit. Love it. Thank you. Hi, Mom. Hi, John. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. I don't have a golf question. I'm probably one of the few ladies my age who loves watching golf, knows a lot about a golf, but doesn't play golf. (laughs) 
Um, my question is actually, how is your family? How are your girls? How is your wife? What are they doing these days? It's a personal they one. Doing, they're all doing great, and they're all a lot older than when you saw them. Oh, I bet they are. Well, except except for my wife. Yet, <laughs> the daughters are. So uh, the oldest, Morgan, is 23, married, a uh, kindergarten teacher oh, awesome. here in Durham. The middle one is Audra. She's a junior at Duke. And Ella is a senior in high school. Awesome. All doing great. Oh, good to hear. Good to hear. And congratulations on what you're doing at Duke and your team. I think that's awesome. Thank you. And uh, someday I still may play golf. I have a good instructor here. Yes, you do have a great instructor there. <laughs> all right. It was good to see you. Thanks again for uh, all that you're doing and helping out Scott here. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to see you as well. You too. Scott or Erica, the floor is yours at this point. We've uh, well, we've exhausted the floor. John, John, for for Scott and or Erica. Oh, yeah, I've got great. one for for John. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. 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 John's Scott. gonna go first, and then we'll let Scott okay. go. All right. Well, either Scott or Erica or both. What have you? Um, what's your example of how you've been able to? Um, calm your whether you say nerves or adrenaline or or when you get it going when you're in the the net the, the level you're pushing to whatever that is where it it's a new level of an excitement what's some of the examples of how you've managed that or trained to manage that so i'm going to share one that that we did um you know we talked about broad and narrow focus so i kind of stole that one from from Ohio Wesleyan with John, but uh, this last summer was getting her out on the golf course instead of just like trying to stay focused for the entire nine holes or 18 holes. I went and caddied for her um, and just like between shots, just completely went off like, where's somewhere you want to travel? Where's whatever? And then as we got close into the ball to kind of start pulling back into focusing I walked instead of riding you know it's we're a crazy busy golf course and so riding is often the most efficient way to get about but I think that was a good transition moment for her <clears throat> um and I re I remember this is my last one then I'll let her share her side I she, I know she's going to share something but um was in college when I was tied for first um I was playing on the B team but like I was tied for first after the first round and then I played poorly in my first five holes of that round and then kind of got it back together and was disappointed and John you just told me just keep putting yourself there like you're gonna figure it out just it's okay like just keep putting yourself there it's a big success for you it's a big step forward and so I don't know just trying to keep reminding her of that like pointing out to her even in, since she's transferred to Longwood University, like you've made a lot of progress already. You're putting yourself in those positions. Keep doing it. So that's my answer. Erica, your turn. Okay. Um, I guess I would say definitely something that I'm still struggling with a lot in terms of just really focusing on what I need to focus on. Um, but I think what I've tried to do, um, back to his point of just trying to, focus on like when you're around the ball 
on the shot that you want to hit and really like picturing the shot that you want to hit. I know that has helped me. I don't necessarily do it all the time like I need to. Um, so I definitely can tell the shots that I do do it on are like the better, more committed shots. Um, but also it's nice um, for us, like we walk. So for me, I like to talk to the girls that I'm playing with, you know, to try to change the subject and not, um, not be focused because I do do that. And I will do that if I don't, um, I'll try to be focused. You know, if I don't get off it, my mind definitely wanders on the score. Like I'm very, you know, okay, I part this hole and then it's like, okay, part the next hole. And then you'll end up with this or this, you know, like I just get very score based if I'm not, if I don't allow myself to not think about it. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> still working on trying to be able to separate the two with the broad and narrow. Awesome. You know, maybe a point on that or uh, uh, in addition to that, is yeah, as you, it's great that you talk to your players, your uh, other people in your group, but you're, you might be training yourself to be in a situation where if they're jerks, you have nobody to talk to, you know, like you're at their yeah. mercy. And I definitely know players that, that, you know, keep a little paperback book or something in their bag. So if they happen to be paired with people they hate, they like read or they do something else while they're wandering around. So there's still somewhere to put your mind. Yeah. Okay. And I, I also think it's a very powerful training thing that you can do all every day and practice and practice rounds and things is to sort of, as you're walking to a ball or walking to a tee is to pick out a visual something, a sprinkler head or a car path or a stick or something as you, you know, you're what you're looking at it and, in your mind, you're you're telling you're saying to yourself, when I cross that line, I'm back into my world. Like, well, you know, I might be 20 yards away from your ball or whatever it may be, but have a distinguished on-off switch basically that you decide on every time. Like when I pass that leaf laying there, I'm done talking to them and I'm in my world. And then after your shot's gone, you can start talking again or whatever it may be, but. You can mm -hmm. train yourself that whether anybody's playing with you or you're practicing alone or have some sort of mechanism where you turn it on and off. Okay. Yeah, most of my playing partners think I'm crazy because I usually talk to myself quite a bit and even answer myself <laughs> and for the same same reason that you mentioned. You, know, you will get paired with somebody that you just don't jihaw with. And... Uh, I'm good with that. And, uh, you know, for me, it's separating the thinking box from the playing box. Thanks to Hank and Scott, without a doubt. Once I pass that point, you know, switches on and it's all about execution at that point. Um, but I've got one for you too. Um, you know, 12 girls, there's an awfully fine line between five and 12, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I kind of use a scuba diving analogy, uh, and again, it goes back to that, you know, the spotlight, um, how do you get the girls that may not get the tournament reps as frequently to be comfortable in the gray? You know, it's when you're scuba diving and you first go down a few feet, 
you still see the reflection of the sun and the water so blue. But the further down you go, the further away from the boat you go, it becomes gray and becomes uncomfortable. And how do you how do you transition them to become more comfortable in the gray? I, well, I, you know, I believe it's um, you know so much about the daily the, di the daily diligence to into being into your recipe all the time. So, or like striving to be able to get to the point where when you are in the spotlight, you've earned the right to just do what you do. Um, it doesn't necessarily, and kind of, I don't want to exactly say this, but it kind of doesn't matter how many times you've been in that spotlight if you know you've earned the right to just do Technical difficulties here. Uh, our Zoom meeting has run out. So let's see if we can get our guests back. Might have to text them the link. One, two, there we go. It's going, going, going. I'm just going to live talk this one. There you go. There we go. If not, we'll just... <laughs> There we go, Erica. Admit. I can hear you again. So I'm not sure if if that helps at all, but um, no, that's that's fantastic. And it's it, it, it I guess kind of in summarizing some of this, what you've really said, John, has validated a lot of the work that I do, and I never thought to apply those same principles to golf. I just I saw them as two separate entities. You've just built the bridge that I can now walk on it. Well, good. I'm glad that, that hopefully that helped. You know, rook, you bet. Rook, rookies win at things. Um, we have freshmen win tournaments. We have, you know, I've had players that have won their first or second professional event they've ever played in. We've had the last two Solheim Cups. We've had Celine Boudier and Leona McGuire being absolute stars in their first time they've ever been in that spotlight. And I think all of those things have so much to do with the trust that they have, they've earned the right to just be themselves when the world around them is kind of crazy. There you go. That's great. Erica, you're going to be the last question. If you have one, you're getting to talk to one of the best uh, coaches that's out there. So if you have one more question, make it a good one. No pressure. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, I guess this one, um, the last question I have is just more, um, what does your in-season practice look like for you guys? It's, it's more basic than everybody thinks it is. And this is a lot of what Coach Brooks has been doing for 37 years now. I think I got that right. A long time. Um, basically, we play three days a week. We have two days a week of structured practice together of a two and a half hours or so. Um, a little bit of that, maybe 30 minutes of it has to is short game related. And everything else is player driven, whatever they want. And a lot of that becomes kind of individualized lessons where they're asking either Coach Brooks or myself to be with them one-on-one. -on -one. And, it, and it's all very... Um, 
based on the way their world works. Like, for example, one of our recent graduates, um, when she was a sophomore here, she kind of came to her the fact that in classes when she had to give um, presentations to the class is when she knew the material the best. Like when she had to talk to someone else about it, she knew that, that she was the most confident that she knew it. That developed into the mindset of like her giving me clinics. Our practice together was her saying, I want to give you a clinic. So I would just stand there and she would just talk through the way she'd set up the chipping, the way she wants to do this or that. And then we moved to putting and whatever. So it wasn't like the terminology with her wasn't a lesson or practice. It was, can you meet me at two o'clock for a clinic? And I didn't do anything. I just let her talk to me. And that made her believe in what she was saying out loud. Everybody's different on how that fits. So our practice is a lot to do with each other's, each player's world. There's enough flexibility to let them teach us, basically. Gotcha. I love that. John, that's a, I mean, can we, is there a way to like package that and sell that to every coach that's out there? <laughs> Um, I mean, no, but seriously, I I know there's a lot of coaches that there are good coaches. There are bad coaches at every level of play, like from division one, there's great coaches, there's average coaches and there's below average coaches. And it goes all the way down to, you know, NAIA, like there's, there's not a, there's not necessarily just because you're down in a smaller school doesn't mean you're a bad coach, you know, and just because you're at a bigger school doesn't make you a great coach, but obviously you're the outcome has shown itself to be what it is, not just in college, but beyond college. Uh, reminds me a little bit of, you know, if you compare Bobby Knight and John Wooden, uh, the number of professional players that kind of exit those ranks, like both got great success in college, but one went on to have their players went on to be more successful than another. And so, um, it's, it's how I try to teach and coach. It's like, well, how should I practice? Well, that depends on you. Like it's, there's not a, there's not a formula. And one of the things we discovered for Erica, just the way she learns is she has to play. You you can't put her on the range for two hours. Like some other players need that need that. Like that's just their style and it's not hers. And so, you know, I think that's been unique to see the longer I've taught and coached that, players need different things and um including in the gym at times like at some point like you can't just make them all do the same thing all the time like they all need something a little bit different and sometimes a lot a bit different so i I really love the way y'all do that absolutely And, and you know that kind of might boil down to like nothing really withstands pressure unless it's genuine like so like if it's you don't have to be at the same as somebody else, but if you're not, you don't believe in it and you're not genuine about it, it won't stand up. And that whether that's what the coach is saying or what the player is working on, like if the player is working on something just because the coach told him to or the teacher told him to, it won't it won't stand up when the pressure's on. Uh, it's got to be what you have genuine and it, it, you genuinely believe. And if both sides, the player and the coach, have a pattern of being genuine, the trust and the bond gets really, really strong over time. Um, and I think that's when a lot of magic can happen and a lot of 
constructive and calling each other out both directions of like, you know, either side saying, Hey, this seems like we're not on the track that we agreed to. Um, that takes a while to get there. That's fantastic. That, that leads me to my two favorite movies, seven days in utopia and the legend of bagger Vance. Uh, that theme is definitely in both of those about it being truly and authentically yours and not someone right. else. So since you're bringing up movies, a weird one that I use so much with our players is from Men in Black, which I think is maybe the most important line to golf. Is a person is a person is smart and people are dumb. Like each golfer is really smart about how to become really good on a hole, but if you let a few golfers talk for a few hours, then the wind is too strong, the hole locations are too tough, the weather's too bad, whatever. Like, if you become part of people, the game's hard and we do stupid stuff. If you become, if you're, you know, if you're your own person, you can be a genius on the hole you're about to play. Coach, I think. It's really hard in college golf when you're all the age that you are and that you're in bands together and hotel rooms together. It's very hard to be your own person. Coach, I think that's a great thing for the people who listen to this podcast to understand as well because um, especially as amateurs talk together as far as like how to get better at the game, you see this kind of, uh, I don't want to, uh, collusion is not the right right word, I feel like, but it's just like it's it, the, mix, the mixing of the minds, is it, it gets to a point where it does get overwhelming and especially at the, the stage of the game where fundamentals are not fully built that can often cause, I feel like, a snowball effect that's detrimental to everybody's game, and um, especially like some of the ways that even just me and Scott talk through holes when we're playing together. Um, obviously, I follow pretty much everything of what he says, but I'm like, you know what? I can hit this a little bit better, and he's like, all right, do it. And like sometimes it it, it happens uh, for the better for and for my sake. So um, I think for all the amateurs listening out there. Um, if you can follow your own game and exactly what coach is talking about, sorry, John is talking about. There we go. <laughs> as far yes. as building that fortress and, and really making sure that you know your game inside and out and how you can get on the green and put the ball in the hole. I feel like that's the, uh, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well said. Well, John, if you'll hang on for just a second, we'll, we'll pop off the podcast and we'll just close and any final parting words. So, uh, John, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for basically daily making an impact on my teaching, whether you're aware of it or not. Uh, so can't wait to get you book two. Um, it's, it's something special. So, um, something that's not out there yet. So yeah, well, love it. Love it. Well, we're going to yeah. wrap it up here on the back porch of Franklin bridge. As always, you guys can come and see us. Are we going to start at five 30 going on? Or are we going to start at six 30? We're going to start at five 30. Now that the sun's going down a little bit earlier. So five 30 inside of Franklin bridge, whether, or we'll be in the back of the bar or in the pro shop. Uh, we will let you guys know. And if you guys want to know, make sure you follow Scott on Instagram at S Hassie golf, two S's and two E's. Thank you guys so much for 20,000 plays on the podcast. We just passed it. Um, that's a huge deal for Scott and I, especially as we've grown this podcast together over the past year and a half. Um, it's, it's certainly been something special. And um, as well as make sure you go uh, pre-order Scott's book, Golf Decoded. The link is going to be in his Instagram. That's SHCGolf, two S's, two E's. Uh, make sure you go and check it out. It's going to have some QR codes 
in the book so that you guys uh, can actually get access to some exclusive content that Scott has put out just for the book. So it's not just a book, it's a cheat code. Uh, make sure you download it if you want to take strokes off your game. I promise you it's going to be the best money you've ever spent. So um, from us here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, Scott, thank you. John, thank you for being here. It's been an awesome podcast. Thank you for all your insights. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it all. So I'm very proud of you for all you're doing and the way you're impacting people. Thanks so much, John. There you go. We're going to wrap it up here. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, we got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays, we hope to see you soon, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.